Today on the Lady Voice podcast, we're going to be talking about ways to identify and understand the Lady Voice. Welcome to the Lady Voice podcast. Dismantle the patriarchy in your mind with Danielle and Jen. universal lady voice examples is you're mad your partner has made you mad you are walking around angry when there is a complete switch a complete reversal of your emotional state to panic the voice changes and it's oh no this is a very good man (laughs) my anger is not qualified He's done nothing wrong, actually. Actually, he had a really bad day today. Actually, he's been working so hard. He has been working so hard. And actually, blah, blah. Insert any sentence or multiple sentences there that you want. Internalized objectification prevents you from setting boundaries. Just to simplify it, An object cannot have boundaries. An object has to be acted upon. And so there's the part of you that is a person that got mad. (laughs) And then there is the direct conflict of the part of you that is an object. And you aren't allowed to be mad as an object. You haven't, when you haven't challenged this idea inside of you, the lady voice always wins until you can start to identify this fracture in your personality. Yeah. I mean, I think another piece to interject there is like, you know, you're as an eight, you're an anger type. And as a six, I'm more of a fear type. So I don't go like, like going, like even considering that anger would be a response is not like a default for me. And like in anything, I I have only started to get angry in the last like five years of my life, you know, or to notice that that's even a response for me. So I also think like you could totally skip that first reaction. Like I'm mad. Oh wait, it's fine. You know, like if this is not something that's like part of your first reaction, whether that's like trained or just part of your personality or conditioned or whatever, like you could just completely skip that piece and just go straight into like, something just caused me massive discomfort. Maybe you don't even consciously realize that. And all you do is go directly to making excuses for him (laughs) or for that person. It doesn't have to be, dude, he's been just doing his best, you know, (laughs) flag number one. (laughs) I know. If ever you hear yourself say they're just doing their best in that tone of voice, flag flag yeah second thing to notice tone of voice <laughs> like okay <laughs> yeah. higher pitch tone of voice in talking to yourself yeah because you could have compassion and awareness that someone is doing their best and that's not a flag so and that's what's confusing about this you're having a conversation that could be healthy in certain contexts if you are a person who has worked on trying to cultivate kindness, cultivate compassion and cultivate higher perspective. 
this can be really tricky because it feels like extra bad to start setting a boundary with someone that you love. Yeah, for sure. And it, it is really confusing, especially if you're someone who wants to like be taking responsibility for your own stuff. You know, sometimes it can be hard to find that, like, what am I responsible for in terms of my own experience? What am I responsible for when it comes to protecting my space and how this person seems to be repeatedly impacting my space? They're not responsible for that. The lady voice keeps me often from recognizing like when it is that I need to take responsibility and just take it. I feel like there's a lot of that like fed to us in this like whatever spiritual culture we have, or I don't even know, therapy culture, take responsibility for yourself, which I'm like pretty behind in a lot of ways, but I do think it cuts us off from this like understanding of like how we put things in place to like protect our energy and see where we're leaking it out as we're trying to take responsibility. And that's lady voice. Totally. Owe it to them to stay here. That's where it's like so confusing what you were just saying about like self-help culture. It's so toxic at this point. I think it started off well intentioned, but it really has circled back to reinforcing a lot of these dynamics that aren't helpful. And it's like spiritual egotism, spiritual bypassing. I think can play a role where you're trying to be, even if you don't consider yourself spiritual, it's this idea really has permeated our culture of only happiness, only, you know, love, love and light, love and love. (laughs) If you are a person who hasn't challenged your internalized objectification, if you haven't challenged your lady voice, and you're like in love and light land, one, you're objectifying the fuck out of people. <laughs> you're mean, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I just want to, and you're mean to your partner in a way. And that's something we'll get into at some point. But you're also so mean to yourself. Oh, the number yeah. one takeaway. That's the biggest one. That's self-gaslighting. Sure. You are self-gaslighting and you're not a bad person. If you're listening to this and this is triggering for you, one, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sort of. Two. <laughs> Two <though>. for you. <laughs> Two. I just am saying this with so much love and light. <laughs> <laughs> Self-gaslighting is a huge, huge issue for most women. You are trying to have larger perspective. You're trying to be compassionate. You're trying to be service-oriented, whatever the words are that you choose. But you have this gaping black hole inside of you that is an abyss for abuse. (laughs) And as a result of that abyss, everything you're doing is just reinforcing objectification. And you see it everywhere in our culture, the way that white women are the foundation of the patriarchy in our country. And, And even like some white feminists are still a part of the foundation of like abusive patriarchal standards, love and light, this idea of love and light, you're glossing over trauma, self-trauma, cultural trauma. You're not allowing for humanity. You're not allowing for your own humanity. You're a people pleaser, basically. And there's a book, Burnout, that's really good. If you're a woman, you should definitely read this book. Talks about and breaks down the idea of like the human helper 
and how much women as objects are the helpers. I think women are really promoted to be the human helper, especially in their romantic partnerships. Yeah. (laughs) I think, you know, it's built into our system. I, I remember listening to like a few podcasts about this. I'm like not a monogamous person in my life right now, but I used, I mean, I used to be in monogamous relationships, but so sometimes I'll listen to podcasts about non-monogamy and like the foundations of where this like structure sort of came from and just the whole concept that our whole economic model is dependent on um, husband leaving wife being helper at home to sustain our economy. I mean, it's like capitalism has left us entirely powerless or not entirely powerless, but you know, from a structural standpoint, like we are pigeonholed into this position, whether we like it or not. And so we've adopted it into our like personalities and and our roles and how we show up in the world. It's become part of everything we do to show up for the man (laughs) at any cost. Our survival depends on it. Like it really does. It really does. Can I talk about your pink toilet? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Good content right there. Your pink toilet. I have a pink toilet. Your house is built in what year? Yeah. 1948. It's original to the house. You have an original pink toilet from 1948. That leaks? (laughs) Apparently. I discovered a massive leak. And the Coming woman, out of the base of the toilet yesterday. The woman who passed <laughs> this pink toilet on to you <laughs> left you a note. Six page, a six page letter in cursive. In the note was information around this pink toilet, sometimes leaking, and her husband refused <laughs> to fix it. <laughs> in detail. He, there he refused. <laughs> there it is. He, he refused to fix the leak. I'm so sorry. You just shared that story with me. One, I laughed so hard. I just wanted to know. <laughs> and not laughing at the misfortune of your leaking toilet. Yeah, I know. I mean, it is funny. My wife spent $3,600 on a Persian rug and she didn't tell me about it and she hid it. And so I'm not going to fix the toilet. Well, that is why the toilet did not get fixed. <laughs> <laughs> Passive aggressive object, right? Like the people yeah. you bought the house from, perfect <laughs> examples of passive aggressive objects. They are, she may not have been human. I'm not entirely sure from someone. <laughs> I don't know either. Sure. She doesn't know she was human. She's the foundation of the patriarch. White women, especially <laughs> of her generation, are mm-hmm. the upholders mm-hmm. of man, baby, white rule. <laughs> that is correct. Right? Like, her partner wasn't an authority on anything, except she made him one. Yeah. So he believed it. And he it sounds like he was kind of a man baby in some ways. Yeah, a lot of duct tape around here. oh goodness objects are passive so it leads to passive aggressiveness right like right you can't be direct that's something Mm -hmm. I saw like in my parents like my mom and my stepdad's relationship it's the most there was so much passive aggressiveness because they can never address the actual elephant in the room. That is a 
huge part of the lady voice. I think recognizing your passive aggressive behavior, one, to be a responsible human, you should be working towards taking responsibility for that behavior. And two, recognizing it as a signal from your environment because you're getting a signal (laughs) from yourself (laughs) that something is amiss and you're hiding that from yourself. And Mm -hmm. this leads us to many different aspects of the lady voice. I think like where I'm going to go right now and we can hit other tangents, but it's the idea of the one, like let's take it back to the idea of the one the one (laughs) object and from the traditional female perspective that is prince charming right so prince charming is the person who's going to bring you to life and you're just waiting for that person your whole life it doesn't matter how old you are when you meet him you're waiting (laughs) everything's on hold some part of yourself is on hold till you get to meet the one and um prince charming comes in and if you pay attention to all the fairy tales all of the children movies all of the children's stories historically that are patriarchal in nature there's the princess and she is either trapped in a tower (laughs) she's in a coma she's in the woods with some weird dudes she's you know being held captive by fairies like whatever She's there blossoming into this beautiful flower. She doesn't know <laughs> that she's such a flower because she's with all these weird people or she's asleep. She can't do anything until true love's kiss, you know, and then now she's like a complete whole person. This perpetuates lady voice. You are holding out for the one. And on some level, as much as I did not believe I was doing that, I was totally doing that. In that I believed if I met the person I was going to marry, that it would be like a lifetime partnership because I didn't want to go through a divorce. (laughs) This is like my 20-year-old logic, something or other. I was not like (laughs) caught up in such an intense fantasy line of the one. Like I didn't, I don't believe in the one, but I was like, here's this person. And, you know, this is the direction it seems like is making sense for me right now. And so I'm following it. So this must mean this is going to be really good. That was my pre-marriage logic. (laughs) Just shattered very quickly after marriage. The one, that's a really fucked concept. (laughs) Just going to say that. Yeah, because it always has you looking externally Mm -hmm. to another person, like in the direction of another, even if you can't fix your eyes on a certain person, like you're Gaze is always out there looking for something and you're never quite, I had this imagery the other day of like a woman with um, a vial in her chest and it was like empty, you know, and it's like, I can never be full. Like my gaze is out there and the only thing that can fill it is like, if that thing comes towards me and fills me up, you know, it's like, it always has you looking outwards instead of just, instead of looking inwards. Objectification you have to be looking out, right? Like you can't trust yourself to navigate the world. You have to, you're just like 
looking for the ones so intensely. So you're screening the not ones, right? So it's like a sense of danger and it builds anxiety. And there's so much conflict in this because self-worth is tied into finding the one. I, it's shocking to me. We're this far along in the feminist game <laughs> for good or bad. Like there is good and bad in feminism, right? But I believe it's mostly good. We're this far along in it. My sister has had some conversations with women that I'm like, wow, that's just so intense. One woman's like, if you didn't have a man, like your vagina would just dry up. That was one conversation. I was like, oh, okay. That's <laughs> wow. That's a lot. That's really intense. I'm Blood like, pressure. I don't, I, that's a lot to break down psychologically for this person. Without a man, like you're an incomplete woman. This is this very prevalent idea that you're not complete without finding your one. The toxicity of the one culture, no one's looking at you like, who are you? Hi, Danielle, who are you? Do I like you? Do I? Are you a person I want to spend time getting to know? Men do it to women just as much as women are doing it to men. This is probably the number one reason why I don't date. I meet someone, the first thing I feel is this immense pressure of like, are you the one? <laughs> like, did I just meet the one? Like, so big, like energy. Like, it's so overwhelming to me that I'm like, no, I'm not the fucking one. Like what I see women do to men, I think starts in elementary school. <laughs> I remember like second grade, just feeling kind of like way outside this conversation like this conversation never made sense to me um but all of my friends planning their wedding like second grade and I was raised in a Mormon community so I think there was a really unique conversation there happening but I left that community and talking to women outside of Mormonism outside of the LDS culture it's still there and it's this like planning your life planning your husband's career, planning your children's names, planning what you'll be doing in retirement. I mean, it got like really extensive. It's so much fantasy happening around the one. And it's really reinforced by children's literature, children's movies, all of these things. Like you're looking for the one, like you are being set up from a very early age to find the one. And so you're like on a mission you meet a person and you're like, are you the one? That's like the first conversation. It's not, are you a person I want to get to know? Are you a person that has interesting thoughts and ideas? Are you a person who's kind? Do I have sexual interest in you? And so this person walks into your life, you meet them at the grocery store and you're like, you hit like four of the five things that I've been dreaming of my whole life. In that dream, a person's super flat. There's no multi-dimensional personality there. It's a very flat surface. You're objectifying the fuck out of your future partner, right? So you meet this person and you're turning them into a flat object. You both are like, yeah, I think I'm into it. We're going to move forward. We're the ones for each other. <laughs> and then all the toxic behavior on both sides is happening and you can't address it because the one conversation doesn't allow for the vulnerability to talk about boundaries because both people are being objectified and objects cannot talk about boundaries. They are acted upon. This is like where passive aggressive behavior takes off 
and you're two, three months into the relationship and you're so caught up on like all the dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, like all the sexy hormones working together, this like magical cocktail in your body, you're not paying attention (laughs) to anything. But flags are being thrown and you can't, all of a sudden you're like a year in, two years in, somewhere in, and it's like, you're just in a big fucking mess. (laughs) And where do you even start to break it apart. At that point, trying to address the issues of the relationship feels very threatening. Feels like you're going to lose everything because now all of a sudden you're not an object. You're off the pedestal and you're trying to talk about needs, (laughs) like your actual emotional needs. You're trying to like remedy all the things that need to be remedied. And like make it work from the back end without having any of that in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And it's even, I mean, I think this is even true. You know, we talk about this like fairy tale idea of the one that doesn't, that's not a blueprint for just marriage. I mean, I think that's a blueprint. I think that's, this is a conversation about any, any kind of romantic relating. Yeah. Whether you think you're just going to be lightly dating for a while, like you still, there's still this energy there of, what is this person doing for me and how am what am I doing for them in this sort of transactional way? And even, you know, in this non-monogamous culture, like that's how I've oriented a lot, like for most, most of my life until recently, since mushrooms have transformed my entire relationship with every human in the whole mushrooms turn you <laughs> Mushrooms turn you in to mycelium. You become mycorrhizal and you start seeing connection. Everything changes. (laughs) Anyone I know that mushrooms have like taken over their life, whether it's like identifying mushrooms (laughs) in the wild, (laughs) ingesting mushrooms, Mm. the power is real. The power of mushrooms. Mushrooms changed my life and I wasn't eating them at the time. I, I was so depressed having like the biggest pity party on a walk with my dogs, like I was way off trail. I was just like way out there. I was just in the woods, just lamenting. And it was getting cold. It was like late or yeah, probably late November. We were having like a little warm spell and I live in the Pacific Northwest. So mushrooms, you know, all winter you can find mushrooms if it's above freezing and I didn't know this though. I had no mushroom awareness at this point. I'm looking at the ground and I suddenly notice this neon orange mushroom that is smaller than my pinky fingernail, the cap. And it's like I blink and they are everywhere. I am standing in a sea of neon orange mushrooms that are less than an inch tall. And then I realized I'm also standing in a sea of yellow neon mushrooms. I had walked through that. That is incredible. Wow. Honestly, that is the moment my life changed. So dramatically get a grip on reality. Like there is life out here, like come out. and like, <laughs> Literally neon vibrant. I did not know what I was looking at. It was one of the most magical experiences of my life. Like when I say like, thousands of them. I have never seen a flush like this since. It was just like mind-blowing. And I went back the next day with my camera. I was like, I gotta get a photo of this. All gone. Every (gasps) single mushroom gone because we'd had a frost. And that, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) that was it for me. I was in mushroom zone. 
I'm like, still just mushrooms. Give me mushrooms. Let me eat the mushrooms. Let me find the mushrooms. I just want to go see the mushrooms. I just want to look at a mushroom. I don't know. It took over. Yeah, it's real. It brings you into a completely different experience of the entire universe. (laughs) Yeah, of life, like interconnectedness. If you want to read a good book, plug in this one, Entangled Life, Merlin Sheldrake. You want to like have your mind blown. Go watch the the movie. Oh my God, yeah. Go watch the movie Fantastic Fungi. Like, yeah, you can't not get pulled in a little bit. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's just completely transformed the way that I relate to other people and see other people as um, objects for me to consume, you know, that, that this person would like show up and do something for me. It's like, all of a sudden, all of that energy has like been like growing up inside of myself. So that like, I am an, ex- I am instead like extending out my mycelium out into the world rather than like, come somebody like feed me, you know, like do this thing for me, be an object for me. It's like, Oh, it's really cool. I feel like it, it just, it transforms everything. And it makes me more capable of like loving people just for them being a human, you know? Like everyone, everyone. I've just been like looking at every single relationship I have and sort of, in some ways, sort of purging and filtering out the ones that feel mostly transactional and, or just, or transitioning them somehow. That's the only way I've ever lived is transaction. (laughs) You know, there's an element of transaction in everything, you know, probably except for like my dad or something like that, or my kid. I think I want to really, really practice like, how many of my relationships can I like really dwindle down to just human, human, honest conversation? Capitalism, right, is so transactional that it has infiltrated our relationships. Yes. That it's like, what are you bringing to the table? What right. are you contributing? Are you productive financially? Here? You know, right. I even yeah. my stepdad would say that to us as kids. Like, mm-hmm. well, what are you contributing financially right now? <laughs> like, fuck you, dude. Right. Like, capitalism it has really contaminated every aspect of living truly, you know, and it's okay. If you're like a person who identifies as capitalist, I still love you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it's not, it is the structure we live in right now. It is. Yeah. Look at how transactional relationships are. That is one way to start breaking some of the toxic aspects of our culture down transactional relationships can be anything from like, well, I gave you a blow job. Last night, <laughs> so <Right>. you owe me. <laughs> Which I like transactional sex conversations are like so not sexy. <laughs> what is no, happening? Bad. It's bad. Keep it in your room. <laughs> I don't want to know. I do not want to know. Yeah, I did this thing, so you owe me. I mean, it's passive aggressive. I did this really nice thing for you. I thought about you today, and I bought you this. I bought and you I need flowers. You. I need you to acknowledge that in the way that I need yeah. you to acknowledge that. If the person you're trying to get to acknowledge you doesn't acknowledge you, ask yourself some questions around that. You know, like, what is your motivation for that thing that you did? Like, what was your motivation? Was it a motivation for you to feel loved, for you to feel accepted? If the person didn't respond to you in the way you wanted them to as an object bring it back to yourself. And then what wound are you trying to soothe? Like, I think that's another question is like, you know, you might notice a motivation that's like kind of 
closer to the surface. What is missing? Like, what is the thing in you? Like, do you feel deeply unlovable at some level? And so you're doing this thing to try to feel loved, like keep going under all the layers of that. Well, and we all do feel deeply unloved. Yeah. Right. I think we spend a lot of time denying that or being afraid of it. But yeah, I mean, accepting that. And so we become passive aggressive to find right. it. Pre-ego development, a child lives in a state of unification, which I love this. We were born in a state of everything in unity. Everything is connected. You are at the center of that connection. So there's still sort of this like, I am maybe not in the healthiest way. If you were an adult, <laughs> just think that like, don't be an adult trying to go back to this place. But in this state as a child, it's super healthy. Everything is revolving around you. And it's sort of this like wonder and everything's connected and you feel a unified sense of love. And slowly, slowly, slowly events are happening. Conditioning is happening. Domestication, objectification is happening and it's pulling you towards a natural state of ego development. And um, if you are in a secure attachment with your parents, so bringing up attachment theory, which I find to be so helpful if you're a person struggling, <laughs> attachment theory is a helpful way to start looking at your own actions, your own motivations. There's like a path through that. A pathway always emerges when you find a new way of thinking about something. And so if you were a child with a secure attachment to your parents, ego development is a lot less painful than a child with an insecure attachment. If you have an insecure attachment with parents and you're going through ego development, it's so painful. What you learn about yourself is you're not good enough. You're unlovable. There's something wrong with you. And then that is the wound we carry with us. And it's so familiar. Our, it's being reinforced our entire childhood and we end up out in the world and we're looking for safe zones. We're looking for safe people. And what we find are familiar feelings. <laughs> we find familiar <laughs> feelings. And there's a number of ways that insecure attachment can break down in a personality. I'm an avoidant. Like I will avoid conflict. I will avoid feeling <laughs> like I will avoid everything. I'm like, no, thank you. This is messy. I'm just going to go away and live my hermit lifestyle, right? Like that is my insecure attachment more than there's anxious, insecure, there's avoidant, insecure. And then there's this mixture. It can show up in a lot of different ways. As we become adults, we're looking for someone to validate that core place in us, someone who will actually love us. And that's kind of the fairy tale too. It's like, this person's going to show up. And they're going to see everything about you. And you are perfect to them. You are perfect. <laughs> you are unicorn. <laughs> you know. So we're talking about how we're like looking for this fairy tale. But then what happens after you, you get that thing? You get that commitment. Oh, yeah. And then like now what? Do you do? what? <laughs> now what the fuck happens? Now you're in a box with a person you don't even know or probably like. <laughs> yeah. you know you and, now, the goal and that is over and guess what? you can't leave you're a bad person if you choose to leave because that's not what commitment is okay commitment yeah. is you oh, lady voice oh. you're gonna work through this 
it doesn't matter until you you die like this is the rest of your life because this is the one this person is the one one yeah the fairy tale leads you to your box your house your freaking castle in the sky whatever you (laughs) imagine it to be in that moment oxytocin is the fuel and you're just like in your honeymoon phase and you're just like twirling I don't know what you're doing and you get to the door (laughs) twirling across the threshold (laughs) and then you're in prison and this sounds so dark (laughs) (laughs) well for most people it is I agree I know that there are people who have more secure attachments with themselves and are creating healthier relationships. Just because this is happening to you doesn't mean you're with a bad person or even the wrong person for you. I just also want to say that like, right. What we know is the lady voices here (laughs) getting married just was like death for me. And I've talked to quite a few women who, I mean, a lot of women, (laughs) let me just, it's really (laughs) real. A lot. A lot of women. (laughs) In fact, I saw a friend of mine the other day. She's sad. She's in a sad place right now. She's like, I just really thought marriage would make it better. Like she knew the problems she was dealing with. (laughs) And she still had a belief that love would save it. And it's like, well, marriage isn't love. You know, love can save anything. I do believe that. But to find that kind of love, It's love without objection. It's love without transaction. Love for its own sake. Like to truly see someone and feel them and love them regardless of what they're doing for you. That's powerful and that can transform anything. You could describe that as like a healthy parent love, like a parent that is providing a secure attachment for their child. I do believe it could be there in a romantic partnership. And I think it's like the end goal. If you're a person who's like, what's the point of being a human? I think it is this, like how to get to a place where you love so deeply and so purely in yourself, it permeates everything that you're doing. And you can't do that as an object. You can't do that without challenging all the ways we're objectified in our culture. Loving for love's own sake, I kind of think that is being the best human you could be. I think it's helpful to think of ways to identify if what you're doing in life is being an object, is being the lady voice. Danielle, you're always really good at talking about this. How does your body feel right now? Like your body oh, will yeah. never lie to you. It, I know. See, I, I love that one. And I, I would love to like get better at like remembering that in the moment. Because usually it's what I reflect on afterwards. Like what did I actually feel like? Or it's like, you know, in conversation with you, you ask a question, (laughs) you know, or like I might see it in a friend of mine if they're shrinking, you know, Um, like, oh, okay, this must be lady voice. Like you feel bad. You feel small in this place. Your body does tell the truth of a situation. If I am like with somebody and I feel my body in anxiety or if I feel myself hunching over, this happened a lot when I was married. Like I was just closing in over my heart, like in self-protection, like all the time. And I developed this, I like, I had this pain, like in my mid back, I've had it for a decade now. And I'm like working it out. I've been getting a lot longer in my spine, like since I've been like on my own, you know, the last year and a half, but that's real. Like your body is like actually responding, like into certain positions or feelings. Like it, it could be even not even muscular. It could be like, you have a stomach ache. Or like every time you see this person, 
your like heart flutters or like you have a pain in your shoulder or you have like, mm-hmm. I don't know, dig- your digestion gets weird or whatever. It's just like, I think we get all these cues from our body that tell us, like give us a lot of information. So like, if you're ever wondering, like, is the lady who is showing up for me here, like in this relationship, like see if you can pay attention to what happens in your body around that person. Like, are you standing up really tall? Like, are you breathing really easily? you know, or are you kind of like shallow breathing or do you feel constricted in your throat or, you know, there's so many different things you can pay attention to and take note of. Another layer to that is noticing if you feel like you owe it to the person to be standing up tall and you can't, <laughs> you know, or like you want to be like, good one. It, but you like push through it and you're like, well, fuck it. I'm going to stand up really tall right now. You know, it's like not the best example, but you know, it's like, well, no, I will be beautiful I will be fuckable I will be like right. Ooh, what your body's saying so good oh I love that and right. I just want to plug it for the bodies out there your body <laughs> <laughs> here's why this matters your body is not invested at all in the narrative you're creating in your mind so you can tell yourself whatever the fuck you want to tell yourself about what is actually happening the reality is your body and I know so many women think that their bodies are like broken. I worked with people um, for about 10 years in a clinical setting, people who the medical system had failed and there was no solution for them. And so they started looking for more alternative means and the alternative world is super weird. It gets, it's very unhealthy. <laughs> There's a lot of unhealth. <laughs> the alternative health. I'm a trained herbalist and a homeopath and as a coach, a life coach, the women I would work with, they all thought there was something wrong with them. And it was just this like really intense theme. And I think that also really was a significant uh, contributing factor to me calling this the lady voice because I was seeing it in everybody from PMS, <laughs> like there is a week in the month. I hate my husband. I hate him. <laughs> and then I'm so scared of that. If I get mad, I'm dangerous. Frigidity. I fucking hate that term. Can we just drop it? Like no woman is frigid. That is not a real thing. Another book to read called Come As You Are. I highly recommend it. Understanding your own sexuality. If you're somewhere like, I don't think I like sex very much. I just want you to read this book. It's so well done. It's so kind to women. (laughs) If you don't want to have sex with your partner, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not frigid. Something's just not happening for you. Division of objects. Objects can't be vulnerable. Vulnerability is breaking out of objectivity, taking off your mask and assuming that the person in front of you really does have your best interests at heart. You married this person. And this was my thing with my ex-husband. I'm like, I'm here. (laughs) Like, I'm still here. I don't know why. (laughs) That is an actual conversation I had with him. Like, I am still here. I literally don't know why. But I'm waiting for vulnerability. I'm waiting for you to just drop in and look at me as a person you can trust. And that just wasn't 
a possibility for him at that time, because I think we have this deep wound of being so unlovable. We want someone to walk down the dark corridor into our abyss for us and come find us and like prove to us (laughs) that they love us. When that is like a you pathway, you as you need to walk down that corridor, go in and find yourself and then bring it out to the world. The fairy tale prevents us from knowing how to do that. Also, it just sounds like a lot of work. It sounds really unappealing to a lot of people. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's <laughs> like not very exciting, for sure. <laughs> Except once you do it, life is so exciting on the other end of it. And then you know you can trust yourself. And it's in that self-trusting that you change who you're drawn to. Like, What felt familiar to you before is not familiar because now you're familiar with who you are. Yeah, I've really gone down that portal for the last like four months. In May, I kind of realized that I was feeling unlovable and I wanted to know why for the first time. It was like, this is a place I kept revisiting throughout my life, you know? And so I wanted to figure out what is really behind this. So I went through this like whole portal experience of like going down that very deep tunnel, you know? to find out what that was about. So yeah, it, it has, it's transformed everything. Like I went from a person who was just like dating like crazy. I was having the best time, which is great. But like now I'm just like, I am not attracted to these people. <laughs> like I'm just not like what I was attracted to before and interested in before. It's like, oh wow. Like I'm not having that conversation anymore. I'm having a different conversation over here. And I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to match with like anyone. <laughs> so I'm like, have you gone down that portal? Cause if you have, I'll meet you there. But like most people don't do that. Just back to that, like marriage conversation, not even just marriage, but like committed partnership conversation and like sex and like, you know, I don't feel like having sex with my partner. I feel like that's a lot of the conversation I feel like that comes out of like, a lot of therapy context or like the self-help model self-help the self-help model yeah is like okay let's go treat this symptom she doesn't want to have sex with him or you know this is a sexless marriage that's pretty problematic you know and it's like well someone would want to stay with you for very long if you didn't want to have sex with them I mean think about it right and you're (laughs) married right or you're committed in this monogamous thing and so like and so you're impeding their ability to have sex yes this is very much your problem that you need to solve that you don't want to have this right now and like that's that is the lady voice 150 million percent that is like the worst (laughs) feeling I have ever had is that my only purpose here is to be a body for you. And I don't even get to like reflect on with you, like why? Like you won't even show up for the conversation with me about like why I'm dry. I cannot get wet. I think there's an idea that if you're in a committed, the one relationship, you can't feel used. Like rape doesn't happen in a marriage, that sort of conversation. My ex-husband, I was like, I don't want to have sex with you anymore. I was like, wow, I just, I'm not having a good time. I'm not enjoying this. It's like creating so much anxiety for me. I don't feel connected. I don't feel anything like this is like, truly, let me whisper this into the mic. The worst sex I've ever had in my life was in my marriage. And I was like, how did this happen? Like, you're like, I don't have bad sex. (laughs) I've never, honestly, I've never had bad sex. I'm not going to force myself to have sex with someone just for the sake of keeping that someone in my life. Like, I was like, I choose me in my marriage, 
lost and I was like, wow, this is literally horrible. (laughs) There was no vulnerability. There was no space for a conversation around it. And I tried, I really, really tried. I tried approaching it in so many different ways to the point, like I went to a marriage counselor by myself. I picked a person I thought my ex-partner would be really comfortable with. So this like Christian man, (laughs) he suggested the book, His Needs, Her Needs which I know what <laughs> no set the book on the nightstand like hey maybe we could try this little thing like read a little book talk about needs talking about needs that's transactional the subject headings are terrible he wants a playmate she wants dependability he wants to have sex she wants financial stability he wants someone to be sexually interested in him. She wants someone to provide financially for her children. I mean, it was so like disgusting, (laughs) but I was like, wow, I feel really bad reading this. Like this is making my body just like shrivel up inside. I'm like, I'm dead. That's that's, dead inside. Your body like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. When I masturbate, like a lot of times I'll like kind of see others, you know, I've told you this before um, or like scenes or whatever, and I'll enjoy that. But (laughs) now I'm just seeing myself fucking myself nice and it's actually like really wonderful so I would just like to suggest that like if anyone needs some support you know in learning how to fuck yourself and not just need that from your partner just go watch yourself fuck yourself boys are just like their appendage is out it's touchable (laughs) right and they're not getting any shame referencing like a girl who even like sort of touches her vulva as a child <laughs> like people are like screaming there's like the police <laughs> run in like do not touch that part of your body that part of your body cannot be touched don't ask questions don't you can't know anything about this this is a huge part of lady voice and also the fairy tale because a woman is so conditioned that her sexuality is tied up in the one. There's two things happening. And I think this is where it gets really confusing for women. You are being a biological human, (laughs) having biological responses. You have a story in your mind about the one. And you're trying to bring these two experiences into one experience. There are still two experiences. So you assume that because you're having these biological feelings, like you're feeling turned on, you're feeling like sexy, you want to have sex, which is there's kind of like a wah, wah sound <laughs> happening over here. You're like, well, let me bring this biological need and force it with this person. Then you end up being called frigid. Like you don't have a sex drive. You're not feeling so many things that you would need to have like a pleasurable experience. And that's not even to just blame the guy, you know, like it's not necessarily his fault, even that this is happening. It could be like, yeah, all of it. It's lay the lady voice. (laughs) There's two other things to be thinking about with lady voice. Like, is this lady voice? Is this not lady voice? First one. Do you feel safe in your relationship to set a boundary? And by safe, you might notice, like, how do you feel when you think about setting that boundary? Like, does your body go into shutdown? Like, oh my God, like, does it make you really nervous and scared? Can you introduce new ideas into your relationship? And is there shared vulnerability? Is there a way to start thinking bigger picture? And I'm not talking about like, 
dream bigger financially. <laughs> like, can you <laughs> right. come together and have a conversation? How do we come closer to each other? How do we create more safety and connection in our relationship? These aren't sexy <laughs> terms from and that perspective. That person int- as interested in that conversation yeah. as you are. This can just help you understand where you're at in your own self-objectification. Sometimes it's not your partner objectifying you. It's you trying to be the perfect partner and it's your self-gaslighting, your self-objectification that's doing that. These are things to ask yourself, like have a self-reflective moment. (laughs) Take a moment for yourself. How does your body feel? Is it safe to set a boundary? And can you look outside the container that you're currently in with your partner and get bigger together? That's some Lady Voice 101 right there. Lady Voice. I love this conversation. Me too. That's why we're doing this podcast because we talk about it almost every single day. So we thought maybe we should (laughs) put it on the air. Let's take it out. Anything is ruminating inside of you from this conversation. We want to hear from you and topics you think that you would be interested in yeah. hearing about. We're curious. Discuss. We want feedback. So thank you for joining Danielle and I today on our second episode of the Lady Voice Dismantled Patriarchy in Your Mind. Have a good one, Danielle. Okay. Bye.